Welcome to your commercial-free, uninterrupted investment show. Sponsored by the SEC-registered investment firm, Wilsey Asset Management, a fiduciary firm owned and operated by President Brent Wilsey, who has been putting clients' investment needs first for over 40 years. The Smart Investing Show has been giving unbiased financial information for over 27 years on local radio stations right here in San Diego, providing you with fundamental analysis on stocks and investments you want to know about. Now, here are your hosts, Brent and Chase Woolsey. Well, hello and welcome to the Smart Investing Show. I'm Brent Wilsey, president of Wilsey Asset Management. Great to have you here with the Smart Investing Show. Talking about a lot of things today, uh, as always, trying to keep you on the track to build your portfolio, your net worth. And uh, today we got things we're talking about. Well, the Santa Claus rally uh, did happen, is still happening. There's different things on the Santa Claus rally, how it goes two weeks, how it starts in Early December ends mid-January, but we're in the middle of it. No matter how you want to say it, we'll talk about the Santa Claus rally. Cryptocurrencies, still in the news, going to discuss that. Uh, banks, uh, banks were surprised this year because in, in the uh, springtime, like, oh my gosh, get out of banks, they're terrible. Well, we'll talk about banks. And then we got to talk about what I call the MAG-7, uh, what's going on with them, what we see going forward. Uh, with Mag Seven, and Chase will explain how we do things. Chase, how you doing? Uh, doing well. Good to be here as always. And uh, you know, crazy to think it's our last show of uh, 2023. Yeah. And for some of our podcast listeners, they're probably first show of 2024. <laughs> um, but hey, as always, you know, we want to help you become a smarter investor. So we actually want to go through how we break down the fundamentals of investments when we're looking at buying, selling, holding company, and actually going through the valuation ratios, the balance sheet, the forward earnings breaking down all those fundamentals so you can learn how to make a good educated investment when you're looking at your portfolio. And Chase, that's so important. We, we should, and I know we will do this every show, remind people of that because here it is at the year end. I, I'm hearing from different people, oh, you know, well, this didn't do well, that didn't do well. I remember an old saying I learned, I've been doing this for over 40 years, that people know the price of everything and the value of nothing. And people say that because, oh, I'm down you know, on this portfolio or in this investment 10 20%. How terrible I need to get out of it. No. What is the value of that? What are the earnings? What is the book value? What is the sales? I mean, people miss the whole thing. That's why people are terrible investors because they look at the emotional side of what happened, not what could happen based on the valuations and everything else we look at. Well, and, and the funny thing, too, is, I mean, you look at it, you have to understand why you're down. You have to understand the portfolio. And, you know, I, I'm going to be completely honest with people right now. I mean, our strategy of investing, yeah, we did not keep up with the NASDAQ. We did not keep up with the S&P 500 this year. And I'll be the first one to tell you that. Right. And, but we understand why. I'll tell you, we had real estate in the portfolio. That's a very small subset of the entire market, but it hurt our portfolio because of the rising interest rates. I don't know. Are rising interest rates gone now? That could be a big benefit to us going right. forward. And you panic, you sell, you could miss out now on that return. Chase the returns that did well this year and then not do well next year. And then you're going to be like, gosh, I can't make any money in investing. It's because you're always trying to chase what is hot. And you, and you know, and you look going back, and I was thinking about this driving in, um, is that when you look at the COVID year, people didn't do well. But that, oh, the, the S&P. So they got... They said, I missed the S&P in 2021. I'm going to invest in the S&P now. Yeah. 2022 was down 19%. Oh, my gosh, I did terrible. I'm going to sell out of the S&P 500. Then you missed 2023. I've got the numbers around here somewhere. It was up over 
Well, I better get back in the S&P 500. Well, now you're buying high again. You're chasing past performance as opposed to looking at what the value of something is. And that's why we do what we do. That's why we do the, the radio show. We do the newsletters. All these things try to help you understand. Do not base past performance or do not base future performance on past performance. It is the worst thing you can do. And that's why the average investor, I think they still only earn about 2 or 3%. And, and that chasing the index really costs you because, again, it forces you to sell at the worst time and then essentially buy at the worst time. Yep. And if you actually look at it right now, it's kind of funny. The Dow Jones was the worst performing index this year. But over the last two years, it's the best performing index because oh. it didn't go down as much as the other indexes in 2022. So the Dow Jones has actually just hit a record high this year. Right. The other two have not. The S&P, it's very close. I think it's off by about a percent from its record high. But the NASDAQ, even after, I think, gosh, it was up like 44% or something this year, it's still off about 6% from its record high. Yeah. You don't realize how much that 30% plus decline costs you. And then now you don't need a 30% gain to get back to break even. You need much more than that. Not much more, but you know, a 44% gain this year doesn't even get you back to break even. So that's where understanding the investments and not trying to chase the hype is, is, is why we do what we do. And it's why it's proven to be a successful strategy in the long term. But I can tell you, it's frustrating as heck oh, when yeah. the indexes are up 44% on the NASDAQ, 26% on the S&P. It's like, oh, I, I didn't do as well as that. It's like, yeah, but you have to remember during the down years, if you invested properly, you didn't lose as much as those indexes. Yeah, and I was watching a movie last night. Uh, it's about a wine wine company and stuff like that. And, and I realized that not every year do wine companies produce good wine. Don't expect every year investing to have a great year investing. You're not going to have it. And when you talk about the NASDAQ, yeah, the NASDAQ was up this year 43%. Like, wow. Last year it was down 34%. Your two-year return is negative. Yeah. So, But you can't judge that because now, like, well, I better go with the NASDAQ because that did well last year. It's going to do well this year. I think the NASDAQ and the S&P 500 are going to struggle uh, in 2024 because of how they got those returns and I don't see how they can do an encore. And, you know, one thing, too, that I, I always kind of get sad at the end of the year because what has happened, like, our whole year of work is is now done. We know what our performance is for our portfolio, which we can't give on air, but we, we know what it is. And now on Tuesday, we start with a clean slate, yeah. got to start all over again. Like, okay, what are we going to do for this year to get that, you know, good return for 2024? And it's a new thing every year. But people continue to look backwards as opposed to wipe the slate clean saying, okay, what are you going to do this year? And, and that's a great point. We've talked about this on the show several times before, but we really only try and tell our clients, look at your portfolio once mm -hmm. a year. And as I said, yeah, we underperformed the indexes this last year. But what we're looking at is why did that happen? What now is going to happen going forward? Just because you underperformed this year doesn't mean now you go back into the index because now it's high. Right. You got to understand how your portfolio did. But still, the, the fundamental concept here is you look at your portfolio once a year. Who cares about, you know, the banking crisis that happened in March? Who cares about all that volatility that happened? What was it? Uh, I think it was August, September, and October were really challenging months. Yeah, the economy is going to collapse yeah. and that's going to happen. <laughs> and now you're at the end of the year and it's like, oh. Actually, I, I did okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and that's where, again, fixating on these little data points throughout the year, it, it, it costs you emotionally. It makes you make these terrible decisions. So try looking at the portfolio once a year, understanding what's going on, and then making good, strong decisions about what to do going forward. And, and that's why I say not to be emotional because we look at the fundamentals, and during these 
down periods during the the bank situation. I think it was like March or April when yeah. uh, the the Silicon Bank collapsed and stuff. And we said, no, but look at the fundamentals of the companies. Same thing, July and August. Like, no, no. Things will churn because at that point in time, the concern was, oh, inflation is going to run rapid. Rates are going to go way up. We said, no, we're just not seeing it. We're staying the course with these good quality businesses. And by the end of the year, we did very well for, for the re- return. But if you jumped out of the, uh, of the portfolio uh, mid-year, you've locked in a loss. And I know people are like, oh, well, I'm, I'm going to go to a 5% CD. Like, Merry Christmas to you. Because you may have made, you haven't even made 5% yeah. yet, and you went and you sold at a bad time, you probably missed a 10, maybe a 15% gain from that low period because you got emotional. You cannot get emotional. You have got to look at what you hold and understand the fundamentals of that. And that's why we do what we do. That's why I've been doing this for 40 years. Don't get emotional about it, but there's some people just cannot grasp the concept of the value of something but they'll read it based on past performance. Uh, and, you know, a year feels like a long time. Some people, two years, three years. But long term to us is investing for life, investing yeah. for for decades, investing I mean, even five, ten years. I mean, you don't know what's going to happen over a two-year period. Right. You, you got to, again, look longer term with your investments. Even if, oh, I'm 70. Yeah, you're still investing long term. You could, with medical advancements, maybe still live another 30 years. I don't know about you, but that's a pretty long time <laughs> Very period. Long time. Yes, yes. <laughs> and if you left in that 5% CD, you're going to be in, in a big shock uh, come, we'll say, uh, July, August of this year. Uh, you're not going to get 5%. And the other thing, too, we always tell our clients, even if you're 90, yeah, your your time period is not 30 years anymore. Most likely, you're not going to make it to 120, just being realistic here. But what we look at is if you don't need the money, well, invest that for your heirs. If you want to pass down that legacy, well, you should still stay invested because if you're not going to spend all your money on the day that you die, you know, well, make sure that those investments are still working for you and working for your your heirs. So that's why when we look at investing, it's always a long-term game. Right. Now, you have to have more short-term instruments available to you if you are older, but understanding that balance is very important. Right. And you don't get a step up based on those CDs, no. but you will get it on your equities uh, for your areas. So a lot of benefits there, but people just get so locked into the roller coaster ride, and it's happened for, I've been doing, again, for 40 years. It's been happening for 100 years. It goes up and down, up and down, but the right side of the graph is always higher than the left side of the graph. As long as you don't do silly things and go out and buy crazy stuff that is just way overpriced, like uh, I, I think uh, there, there's so many that that, that Peloton. Yeah. Uh, we always talk about Telray. I mean, all these ones that were supposed to be so hot, well, they went down. So let, let's talk about uh, the Santa Claus rally because um, if you felt disappointed in your gifts from Santa this year. There's still hope he brings your investments some nice returns. We're currently in the middle of Santa Claus Rally, which is the period of time that includes the last five trading days of the current year. And, and. <laughs> my, my apologies there. I was, I was yeah. looking here. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and also, too, the, the first two trading days of the new year. So, again, we've, we've finished now December, and then also now we, we got two days left, essentially, the Santa Claus rally, which is kind of interesting. But historically, these seven days have had higher stock prices 79.2% of the time. And since 1950, the average gain was about 1.4%. So, I mean, again, it's not a boom, so to speak. No. But, I mean, you look over a seven-day period, 1.4%. If you talk about maybe looking at average annual returns of 8 
per year. I mean, obviously, it doesn't work that way where it's 8%, 10% right. every year. But, I mean, 1.4 is still a substantial amount. If you miss that 1.4, I can tell you a 5% CD does not make you 1.4% in a seven-day period. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, and I'm quite optimistic we will see, again, a positive return. I know we've had a, a good five-day run. Yesterday was a little bit of a pullback. But I, I think you saw... Uh, like tax loss selling yesterday yes. would kind of pressured things. And then also, too, maybe some people just wanted to kind of get it out of positions, repositioning for the new year. I, I wouldn't be surprised, again, if the S&P 500 hits a record in January. I, I think that is a, a very likely scenario. And I think it's even possible you could hit maybe in the first two days of the new year. Yeah, I, I think you will do that because um, you had that, that down day the last day of the year. Again, I think tax loss selling. I think people will come back in the first, well, what is it, January 2nd, I think mm-hmm. is what it'll be. Uh, and they'll say, yeah, well, well, let's get back in because things are, are going well. So uh, I think 2024 will be a good year, uh, but you got to be invested and you can't be moving around like, oh, and chase stuff. You're not, you're not going to do well. So, And, and I do think, um, probably talk about this a little bit later as well, but I, I think the indexes will do okay next year. I don't think you're going to see a decline in the S&P no. or the NASDAQ, but... You're not going to see again. I think a twenty, I think it was about twenty-five, twenty-six percent return on the S and P. I think this year you could maybe see a, a maybe a high single-digit, low double-digit return. Maybe we'll, right. we'll see. I mean, I think that's low double-digit. I think is even an optimistic scenario. I think so too. I think it'll be in the single digits um, based on what has happened so far, and also too, people forget how concentrated that index is. And I just don't. I mean, there's lawsuits against. Uh, uh, Apple, there's lawsuits against uh, Google, there's uh, lawsuits now against AI, Microsoft, because yeah. of the New York Times situation. Um, it's going to be a difficult year, and there's going to be a lot of emotional things going on with a presidential election coming up. It's going to, I think, a, a crazy election, but we're always going to look at the value of companies. Don't go for a company just because of the name. Look at, can that business make money no matter who gets elected? No matter what the government does, uh, are people still going to buy this product? And am I overpaying for that product? So, Exactly. All right. Well, let's move on to uh, cryptocurrencies because they have in the news a lot. And actually, Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies have been rising in 2023. We all know that criminals use cryptocurrencies for kidnapping, drugs, and ransom. I was surprised to learn since 2007, 17, I'm sorry, 2017, hackers have used $2.7 billion for ransom payments over the last couple of years. It has approached a half billion dollars per year for crypto payments, perhaps help pushing up the price of Bitcoin. This has been a major problem considering the ease for cyber gangs to transfer Bitcoin and remain anonymous. Now, think about this. If you enjoy buying and trading Bitcoin, you're helping the gangs that do these ransom attacks, making money off their illegal activities that are crushing companies such as Clorox, MGM Resorts, Caesars Entertainment, and even actually the U.S. Marshals Service, just to name a few. What we look at here, tell as well as guess who's paying for it? Yes, you, the consumer. And I got to say, I just have hated cryptocurrencies since their invention because I said they have no real use. I guess, unfortunately, I was wrong on that. The criminals seem to love crypto. Other than that, they really still have no other use, and I do believe one day they will be worthless. In the meantime, people continue to help out criminals by buying and holding cryptocurrencies. It's just, I don't know. It's funny because a lot of times people talk about, oh, I want to invest with morals and stuff like that. And it's like, (laughs) well, if you're buying crypto, you are doing the exact opposite because you have to understand 
well, yeah, you you do these crypto payments. Bitcoin goes up 20%. You sent the Bitcoin to these uh, illicit users. <laughs> they just made 20% more <laughs> than yeah. by holding and, that crypto. Yeah, and, and, and it really helps them out a, a, a lot. And people don't realize that. And the thing we talked about coming in, uh, you had some good facts you, you read this morning about Dogecoin. Dogecoin, was it? Yeah, it's a Dogecoin. You know, that, that was one that really kind of got very popular right. um, during kind of the, the crypto craze. But even this year, it's actually done okay. And if you look at it, I mean, it trades now at, gosh, what is it? Uh, let's see here. It trades now at $0.09. Cents. Is, is actually where it traded. The, the all-time high for it was, I think, gosh, around like 70 cents or something like yeah, that. Yeah, it's so like it's, 40 or 50. It's but, fallen yeah. tremendously, but year-to-date, it's up about 30%, which you know is a, a decent return. And the market cap of it is about $13 billion. And that's what surprises me is because here it is at $0.09, cents, but yet the market cap, which is, I guess, I guess, all, I guess for this case, it's all yeah. the cryptocurrencies added combined with all the, the Dogecoins. Uh, that's the value at nine cents, which is ridiculous because who can go get a cup of coffee or breakfast with a Dogecoin? You still can't use these currencies at all. And the whole debate is even if you can use the currencies, why would you want something that goes up and down by 10% potentially in a day? Yeah. You can't actually use those currencies in real life situations if you don't know by the time you leave your house to when you get to where you're shopping or getting coffee – you don't know the value of it. That's yeah. a big problem in transacting goods and services. So even if that was the case, useless. So what is the point of crypto? Useless, unless you're an illicit user. I, I hate to say it, but it just makes no sense. And I look at Dogecoin again and at a $13 billion market cap. That's about a, the size of a company like Molson Coors, which actually has real products, which yeah. actually has Real profits. Good beer, too. I like that Coors Light. <laughs> it, it just makes no sense. And, yep. and if you own these cryptos, I, I just, it, we said it in 2021, we were right. We said in 2022, we were wrong. Uh, no, I'm sorry. We said in 2022, we were wrong. 2023, we were wrong here because it went way up. Now, in 2024, I just don't think it's going to do well. There's all these hypes around the ETFs coming out. And, oh, my gosh, it's the halving, which is going to cut right. the supply. I just don't think it's going to be a great investment in 2024. I think people are going to have some serious issues with it. And I'll talk more about this tomorrow morning in my segment on KRSI at 840. But what people don't realize, if you look at when crypto did well, and I forget the exact years I don't have it in front of me, but when it went up dramatically, it's because of, oh, Bitcoin futures are coming out. Yeah. Oh, okay, well, that, that's good. So it went up, and then that was over, and it went down. And then they had the the next thing that came up was the futures in the ETF for Bitcoin. Oh, well that then it went up, then it went down again. Why is it up now? Oh, now we're gonna have these spot prices on ETF uh, next year. Now whether the government approves it or doesn't approve it, either way, once it's over, you're gonna see Bitcoin drop again because it's not there's no value to it. It's the hype of the potential. It's like you know uh, buy the rumor, sell the news, yeah. and you're gonna see crypto again drop back down again next year because there's nothing exciting about it after they either decide or to, to do or not to do this spot ETF. <laughs> and it's just so crazy because as, as you pointed out, we've talked many times, why in the world do you need an ETF to buy Bitcoin? Just go to these other ones, buy directly. I, 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 we don't get the, the I, point of it. I, I'm going to say, I, frankly, I think it's the stupidest thing. Yeah. I mean, so yeah, you're going to have a Bitcoin ETF. Why don't we create an Apple ETF? Why don't we create a Microsoft ETF? 
it's an ETF that holds one thing. <laughs> like, it makes no sense. And then these financial companies, they're loving it. Oh, of course they are. Because they don't really have to do that much, and they get to charge fees on it. Yeah. Come on. Like, what? Why would you even do that? Like, That's... again, on Coinbase, you can have, I guess, IRAs, Roth IRAs, so you can still buy it. And I guess, you know, tax deferred, the Roth accounts. What is the purpose of the ETF? It makes no sense to me, but people are driving up the price of it because of the hype around it. And I was reading this morning that actually, I guess I didn't know this in Canada and Europe, this according to Barron's, products like this already exist. And it's not really that enticing to investors because, again, I think people that are pro-crypto are already in crypto. Yeah. They don't need the ETF. Right. And, and people that don't care about it. Don't want it, so they don't care about the ETF, but it's a whole hype. And again, this is Wall Street. I've been doing this for, again, for 40 years. Wall Street is so great at coming up with ways for Wall Street to make money and leave the little investor behind because they, oh, yeah, see, it's going up. Crypto, I don't know, where's that? 42,000 for Bitcoin now. No doubt in my mind, 2024, it's going to come down because there's no hype there. And yeah. you can, yeah, can you imagine being in a business and it's like, and you have a, we'll say, a 5% profit margin? And you take crypto, and then you go to cash it in. Oh, okay, we'll get it back. Oh, well, now it sounds 6%, so I lost I money. money. It makes no sense at all for business. It makes no sense for the economy. There is no reason to have Bitcoin or anything else. It is a gambling chip that people will eventually lose everything on once again. Because I did talk to people that they had it. They thought it was going to do well. Drop. They lost money. Now it's back up again. Oh, yep. Yeah, see, I told you, Brent, you were wrong. Nope, nope. Just wait again. You know, I still think it's down like 50% from its highs, though, even yeah. with the huge run up today, because I think, or this year, because it, I think it reached around 60, 70,000. So even at 42,000, yeah. I mean, it's still down quite a bit. Quite a so, bit. and the thing you have to understand too is Bitcoin's market cap now is above 800 billion. The hype has carried it this high as well. What happens is now, as it gets bigger and bigger, you need more hype and more people to believe in the hype to push it again another eight hundred right. billion dollars or to double to that eighty bill uh, eighty thousand dollar figure, which it's I don't want to say it's easy, but it's possible to find let's say a billion dollars worth of hype. Right. Much more challenging to find eight hundred billion dollars worth of hype. <laughs> right. You got to understand how as those numbers get bigger, you have to have more believers, and I just I think they're going to start running out of people that believe in crypto as now it's been around for several years. And still hasn't really proven a use case other than for bad actors. The bad actors. And that's what I was going to say as well. I mean, your, your Cloroxes, your Caesars Entertainment, they have to go in and borrow Bitcoin to pay the gangs. And, and, and that they don't want to do it like, oh, yeah, I see. See, MGM, they're, they're buying crypto. Yeah, because they have to to pay off the, the, the terrorists or the uh, uh, cyber attacks. Cyber attacks. Uh, the gangs, because there's gangs actually do these cyber attacks now, yeah. and that's what they they want to be paid in, in Bitcoin, and so companies have to go borrow Bitcoin to pay off their hackers, because if they don't, they, there's been some major problems with companies that didn't pay. It, it's a very bad situation, and by buying pick Bitcoin and having it go up in value, it's adding to the problem because it's helping them out when Bitcoin, because there's probably some that got Bitcoin maybe at I don't know twenty five, thirty thousand, out forty thousand. Wow. That yeah. They made a pretty good re return on their investment there. Yeah, I did want to say one other thing before we kind of move on. I know we spent a long time on that, but, you know, it's kind of funny when you see people as well. It, they, they get all into the hype of, you know, like Jamie Dimon, for example. Like, oh, Jamie Dimon, he was a, you know, a non-believer. Now he's a believer. No, JP Morgan just started offering crypto products. And Jamie Dimon has been saying, hey, it's not my necessarily 
right to tell people what to do with their money. So we'll offer them products if they want crypto. But then when he's on you know, Capitol Hill, he's like, if I was the government, I'd ban it. So <laughs> I don't know if it gets any clearer than that. He is not a believer in crypto. <laughs> but and what he, He's a businessman. And it's like if people want crypto, you, you're going to do stupid things. Okay, we'll, we'll have it for you. We'll make profits off it. <laughs> I don't believe in it, but I'm a business. So you want crypto? You know, we'll do it for you. So speaking of banks, uh, we have some good returns on our banks in our portfolio this year as uh, some banks have returned over 20%. This is in spite of the fact that a couple times this year we're in the negative column for returns on these big banks. We believe that since the fundamentals were very strong, these banks were worth holding onto. Now with 2023 at a close, the big question is what to do in 2024's interest rates decline as this could be a problem for the big banks. A mistake that small investors make is not to understand the full business of the bank. While loans produce big profits for banks, there are other ways a bank can profit than just loans. Now, if rates decline as we think they will, that could accelerate banks' operations on the equity side, with more companies paying them to do IPOs, maybe mergers as well. We, we've talked about potential mergers next year. Another thing that people probably have no idea about is as rates become lower, the bank's unrealized paper loss on the bank security portfolio will boost the value of fixed-rate securities that they bought when rates were much lower. This was the issue that happened during the banking crisis with rising rates. Now we could see the inverse of that and actually balance sheets straightening with lower rates. And also, too, you have to understand if this paper loss drops back down, that can actually help a bank with capital levels, and the bank could be open to bigger stock buybacks in 2024 as their capital levels improve. So if you have the right banks in your portfolio at the end of 2023, it looks like next year could be another winner for the big banks. As always at our firm, Will C Asset Management, we will continue to do our Monday numbers on these companies, along with digging through the quarterly conference calls and financial statements. If things were to change, yeah, we could end up selling out of the big banks, but, but right now I still think there's some potential there. Yeah, and, and that's another part about investing is that, uh, you know, we said that some of these big banks have returned over 20%. Not going to happen, I think, in 2024. Yeah. I mean, if you get a 10% return in a bank in 2024 plus a dividend, eh, you got a 12 maybe a 13% return. But the other thing, too, with banks that I'm looking at, we know there's still $16 trillion of equity in homes out there that people haven't really tapped because of the higher rates. Well, as we talked about, well, rates will be coming down. I, I heard somebody on uh, talking yesterday on CNBC that he thinks in March, I think that's too early. Yeah. But I think by the summertime, you can start seeing that. People might be saying, you know what, let's, let, let's borrow, you know, 25000 50000 from the house to, you know, put in new flooring, to maybe put that new bathroom in. This will also be another positive for banks because it's another area that they can loan upon. So th there are some good things happening for 2024 that will be happening in 2024, but I'm not expecting a 20% return on banks in 2024. Yeah, I mean, the thing you have to understand as well is when you look through these big banks, um, kind of statistics for the year. I mean, they, they had great NII, which is net interest income, as, as the spread on interest rates was very mm -hmm. favorable for them. That'll probably revert next year, and they'll see some reduction in NII. And, and you listen to the CEOs, they, they've referenced that, yeah, we don't think that net interest income is going to continue. But the thing that, again, we point out is there's other areas of their business that, frankly, have just kind of been crushed this year Right. that now should be, I'm going to say, like the advisory capacity for their companies to advise against IPOs, to advise against mergers. I, I think that should see a nice increase next year for, for those bankers on Wall Street, which should be a big benefit for the big banks. And, you know, we know the IPO market was very dry this year, but 
it's kind of funny. A lot of times IPOs, they go with the waves of the market. Yep. When the market's hot, as it has been this year, I, I think you could see some big IPOs next year, which should help these Wall Street firms as well. And, and one thing too, I mean, banks are not cheap. I mean, they they, they had some cash in, in, in the uh, March, April. They were trading. I mean, they were on sale. Oh yeah. And and, and we actually stepped in and bought a a big a big bank. Uh, I think it was March or April. We we did that. Yeah. Um, and it didn't do much for a while. And then oh, I, it went down in the beginning. That's right. It did go down. We're actually down. I think we're down. What, what, what are you doing buying this this financial firm right now? <laughs> Trust us. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. And I think now we're up. I don't know what 10, 15, 20 percent on it or something. Yeah, I, I, I don't know if we can say that, but <laughs> well, I, uh, we, we've done, we've done, we've done well on it. But you know, but it, we didn't name it, so I think we can see. Okay, it. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, as long as we don't say we did this on it. I mean, could you try to get people, you know? Yeah, uh, I just say yeah, we, we've done well on it. I would never say the name and say, oh, in this yeah. investment we did, you know. Yeah. No, you can't say that. That that's illegal. That's SEC rules that we can't uh, say that. So, well, well, let's move on. Talk about uh, the magnificent seven because I'm looking at a good return. In the right stocks next year, I believe the market will broaden, our con- broaden out considering uh, much of the gain this year came from that MAG7. Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, Alphabet, Meta, Tesla, and NVIDIA. One reason I'm optimistic is there's still a lot of money uh, held in money market funds that I believe will be redeployed next year as the rates on cash will become less attractive. Yeah, I mean, look at it, actually. Total assets held in money market funds is near record levels at about $6.1 trillion. This is about 29% higher than just before COVID. And again, remember, just before COVID or during COVID, I mean, you were getting paid nothing in the money market. So why would you have them? Now that's not the case. But we think, again, that's going to change next year. And also, too, the pros may even have excess cash to deploy next year. According to a Bank of America survey, the average portfolio manager holds about 4.5% in cash, which is down from a multi-decade peak of over 6% last year, but still substantially higher than the lows of just over 3%. Now, with high interest rates likely to fall next year, cash will be less attractive, which should be a major benefit to stocks. And again, these these managers, I don't think are going to push lower than 3% on cash, but I think they could maybe push down to 4 3.5% cash, so they'd still be putting money to work. And again, the big thing is, all of a sudden people look at their 5% money market that they're getting, and it drops down, let's say, to 3.5%. It's like, well, that's not very good. Yeah, I, I need to make more return on this money. I need to put it to work. They do that. That it, again is a benefit for stocks, and, and also too, you you look at all the things that could happen. We already talked about the equity, uh, sixteen trillion dollars of equity coming on. Now the professional money managers that if they go from four and a half down to four percent, half percent of cash, they manage trillions of dollars. That half percent of trillions of dollars makes a big difference. There will be people that said, "Gosh, you know the CD three doing at this lower level. I'm not getting what was before." Maybe I should go back in the market. So that's why I think we'll carry 2024. And also, let's not forget that during presidential years, election years, no one wants to do anything bad. They want everything good. So you're not going to have any bad news coming out. I mean, you could have something come out that's out of left field, but more than likely no because they always try that. And that's why 70, I think 75% of the time, the returns during election year is 7.5% or higher on equities. Wow. So um, it's just something I have to kind of look at. Yeah, and I did want to kind of go back again to the conversation we had at the beginning about this broadening out that we see happening. And again, I think that's a reason why the index does okay next year. You have to, again, understand a lot of the return in the S&P and the NASDAQ this year came from the Magnificent Seven. Many of them were up triple digits this year. 
Now, that's a huge benefit to the index because, you know, like I think, gosh, Microsoft, Apple, they're like 6 7% in the index. So that goes up, let's say, 100%. Well, that then is a 6%, 7% benefit to the index return. But let's say, very possible next year, you do have companies in the index right. that go up 100% next year. But let's say they're only 0.2% in the index. That's only a 0.2% benefit to the index if they go up 100% versus Apple or Microsoft going up 100% and that being a you know, 6 7% benefit to the index. So as things broaden out, if Apple, Microsoft, Magnificent 7, they go flat to decline or increase slightly, it's not going to be as beneficial to the overall index returns if you have these smaller companies that go up 50, 60, 70, 80% next year. Right. And, and there's so many things, uh, you know, that, that we want to kind of talk about. I mean, gosh, we're already halfway through the show. Uh, we did in, in the newsletter here. And if you want to get the newsletter, this all comes from our newsletter. It is free. It goes out every Friday at 5 o'clock by email. It is on our website. I, I bring this up because of the fact the one topic we talked about here was Apple. And we kind of wrote a long post on that one because of the potential or the lack of growth for Apple is another one in the newsletter we talked about here. Um, also in the newsletter, you will see uh, artificial intelligence, cell service checkouts, uh, financial planning, understanding tax lots. Uh, so there's so many things in that newsletter, but especially I bring up the Apple one because if you're an Apple holder, and yes, you have done well, but I actually well over the last two years, last two years, your return is about 3% maybe. Yeah. So, but you get into this thing like, oh, it's done well for me, so it's going to keep doing well. You've got to look at the value of the business and what they're facing. We lay all that out for you in the newsletter. Go to our website, smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. Right in the middle of the page, you'll see newsletter. Sign up for it. Uh, I think you'll find that very informative. And uh, it's free. Yep. So. All righty. Uh, let's see. Oh, you know what? It is time to talk financial planning. I see our CFP, Harrison Johnson, here with us. So, uh, Harrison, uh, how you doing there? Good morning, guys. I'm doing well. How are you doing? Well, good, good. I, I know today, and I, I was happy to see this topic here of understanding tax lots, because this is something that I think a lot of people don't understand. I don't think many financial planners probably look at it, so I'm going to turn the mic over to you and let you explain about the understanding of these tax lots. All right, sure. So um, when you buy shares in a company, you hold what is called a lot of shares, and that's not a pun. Um, <laughs> you hold, <laughs> uh, you're not holding many shares. For example, you're, you're, each time you buy shares, it, it's called a lot. Um, and so if you buy a company multiple times, you will have a each individual lot for each individual purpose, um, each having its own holding period and cost basis. So this will be important when you then go to sell the shares because you can decide which, which lots you want to sell based on how it's going to impact your tax situation. So for example, if you buy 10 shares of XYZ company for $15 a share, then the next month buy 10 more shares for $20 a share. You now have a total of 20 shares, but 10 have a cost basis of 15 and 10 have a cost basis of 20. So if later down the road you decide to sell half of your position uh, when the stock reaches, let's say, $30 a share, you will have two different tax outcomes based on which lot you sell, either a $10 or $15 gain per share. So there can be situations where you only want to sell part of your shares, such as you're pairing a over-concentrated position back or 
you're doing tax loss harvesting or tax gain harvesting, or you're just trying to raise some cash. And if you aren't careful, you could end up derailing what you were trying to do. Now, the default setting when selling shares is under a FIFO basis, which stands for first in, first out, meaning the first shares you purchased are the first to be sold, regardless of the purchase price. So it's possible to have a position with an overall loss, but still having some loss with gains if you purchased you know, those shares over time. So in this case, you could have someone trying to do some tax loss harvesting, for example, um, but due to FIFO, they end up selling their oldest positions, which actually have a gain, and then instead of you know getting a loss when they sell, they could actually end up paying more taxes because they, they realize a gain instead of a loss. So when you're making a sale, it's important to not only understand the overall gain or loss, but the individual gains and losses of each individual lot to make sure you don't hurt yourself from a tax perspective. Yeah, and it's something that I think a lot of people don't realize. And, and as you said, they're they're just doing things and 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 don't account for the the lots of, of what they're selling at, and can actually hurt themselves tax wise. And I, I wanted to add to just another example. I mean, we were, we were looking at um, tax loss selling for a client yesterday, and you know, it made sense to to take that. And, and we're not big advocates of tax loss selling, but if it makes sense. Yeah, we'll do it. But the, the example I wanted to use here is there was one position that had a loss. Well, there was three different lots within it, and two of the lots were about flat. So it would have made no sense to sell those two lots. But if people just looked at the overall position, they could have missed out on you know potential gains over the next yeah. 31 days that would have been you know potentially detrimental to that portfolio. And also, that, that's a great point, Chase. And in, in addition to that, this is also um, a detriment to when you're holding mutual funds because, you know, a lot of advisors use mutual funds. With mutual funds, you can't really do tax loss harvesting, whether it's gains or losses, because when you have mutual funds, um, when you buy shares, you're just buying into that overall fund. So you, you don't really have individual lots, so you, you don't really choose which lots you go, you want to sell. Um, you more just have an average cost basis of all the different um, shares that you purchase in that mutual fund, where when you own individual equities, you can say, okay, well, I own these many shares. I'm going to sell these amount of lots because I want the tax benefit. Then in 31 days, I'm going to buy them back or I'm going to buy, you know, whatever. But you have that flexibility of choosing what you want to buy and what you want to sell, where, again, you can't do that with mutual funds. Not to mention they do the distributions that you don't know when they're going to come and how much they're going to be. Yeah. So there's the net redemptions. There's the cost basis with lots. Um, there's the extra fees. So um, there's a lot of negatives that come around to mutual funds where, a lot easier because you just buy them, but you know you're not you're definitely paying for it in a lot of different ways. Yeah. Alrighty. Well, great information for. Uh, gosh, I can't believe this is the end of the year and you got uh, taxes coming up. So people are going to be thinking about taxes, and here's one thing they should be looking at. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And actually, um, so it's still possible that for people out there. I know yesterday was the last trading day of the year. But um, if people made sales yesterday, you can technically talk to your custodian and tell them right now, or I guess on, on Tuesday, um, if you sold some shares and you want to change the lots that were sold, you, you still have the ability to, to adjust which lots are ultimately going to be sold. Um, but, you know, we're running out of time because, 
you know, on Tuesday, it's, it's the first. So Right. <laughs> so they got one day to get it right. Yeah. If they sold. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They, they, you, you can't sell on Tuesday. You had to have sold yesterday and then be able to adjust the lots because of uh, a settlement of that trade. So you still have some time to do yeah, that. You can right. claim what those lots right. were. So good. Well, Harrison, thank you very much. And uh, you have a great weekend. We'll see you on Tuesday, first day of the year, 2024. All right, guys. I guess it's the second day of the year, but yeah, we'll see you Tuesday. First work day. First work day. There we go. <laughs> yeah. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. Again, that's uh, Harrison Johnson. He is a CFP. He is our financial planner. Now, he's a fee-based financial planner. He's on a salary. He doesn't you know, sell annuities or life insurance. Uh, you can have a free consultation with him. Give him a call at the office, 858-546-4306. That's 8585464306 you can also contact him at the website smartinvesting2000.com that's smartinvesting2000.com all right we got a few emails to uh, hit here chase so let's go off uh, start with this one here from Zach i've been uh, listening for a while and i've gotten better at identifying the 15 or so metrics that you both go over every week but i'm still not sure how to answer this question the question is how do you know when the thesis is broken? Obviously, you don't want to overact to a bad earnings call and you want to be patient long term, but sometimes an investor gets it wrong. So how do you draw the line between being patient and realizing that that need to break up with, with your equity? That's, that's a good question. And one thing I, I learned when I started doing this this way many years ago, gosh, uh, over 20 years ago, was that not going to be right all the time. Yeah. Uh, but I did realize if I can be right two-thirds of the time, I can get a decent return. What we shoot for is 10 maybe 12% on average per year. Um, so you will not be right all the time. You're going to make the mistakes. You have to, and this is a, a, a thing that people make big mistakes, is that they made a mistake and they pay the play what I call the pray and hope game. Well, I paid $10 a share for it. It's now at five. I'm going to wait to go back to 10. That equity does not know you paid $10 a share for it. If you made a mistake, which you will, we make them, everybody makes them in investing. Um, you have to realize it, sell it and move on. Yeah. And, and I would say I, I'm going to kind of give two examples here of examples that we've had mistakes. And, you know, when we actually did say, okay, it's time to cut ties. You know, there's one company we held and the stock went lower. And it's like, oh, my gosh, we didn't panic and sell because the stock went lower. But the, the balance sheet deteriorated. They yep. on, took on a ton of debt. Their debt to equity was now out of control. Their current ratio wasn't looking good. So, yeah, we wanted to get out of that company because their balance sheet was weak. That is a perfect reason to say, yeah, let's sell. The other time it makes sense to sell is if all of a sudden the, I'm going to say the thesis has kind of brought up, it changes. You know, the earnings picture deteriorates. Great example. We held a cruise line in 2019. Yep. COVID hits. Oh, my gosh. No earnings. They issue a ton of debt. They issue a ton of stock. Let's get out of this company because we don't see how they're going to be able to recoup all those lost earnings that now came about during COVID. Another example, too, is actually we had a retail company. We were falling in the earnings picture, just really started to de de deteriorate. And this isn't over one year. This is over, you know, I'm going to say a right. 10, 15, 20-year period of investing. Yeah, we ended up selling that retail company because there's no more future earnings outlook there. We've got to sell and get out of it. But you don't want to be impatient with the stock just because it's down, as Zach said. And it can be down for one year, two years, and all of a sudden, year three, wow, it's done quite great. 
It's what I call the fundamentals breaking down. And actually, that cruise line, I remember when we invested into it in 2019, we went back, because I think for 40 years, they never had a losing year. Even during the Great Recession, they still made money. So we thought very, very confident on this company. We would have held that cruise line, except when they destroyed the balance sheet by taking on so much debt. And they had to. They had to. Oh, well, they had to. Um, I, you know, And then you have to say, this is not the same business that I bought. Um, and, and we sold, I think we probably took a 50% plus loss, I think yeah. on that. Uh, but it went down way below what we sold it. I don't think it's even recovered from that time frame. And then what we did with that money is we did go out and we bought another fundamentally strong company. So you're not- And a low price because things were low during COVID. Were low, so. That's right. So, uh, we did very, very well during that COVID period. Um, but it, it's just something that you cannot hold on to things emotional. These are just businesses. Um, the, the market does not know what you paid for it. Don't wait. Well, I'm going to just wait till it comes back to get what I paid for it. No, that is a bad investment decision. Look at the earnings. Look at the balance sheet. Look at the cash flow. If that business has potential to come back, then stay with it. Maybe even buy more of it. But if not, don't don't fool yourself. And especially with that cruise line, what we looked at was they had to issue about double their share count. Yeah. So what that meant was for when we bought that business, they would have to double the earnings essentially from where we bought it to recoup all that dilution in the share count there. We said, yep. I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think they're going to double earnings anytime soon. Let's get out of it. So it really has to be a, a deep look at companies. And don't get me wrong, when, when stocks go down, yeah, we look at them a lot closer. Are we missing something? Is there something we need to be looking right. at here to potentially sell this? If not, as you said, hey, maybe we buy more. Right. And, and and as Zach also said too, but don't hit the sell button too quickly. Like, oh, it was a bad quarter. Oh, the night. No, don't sell just because of a bad quarter. Look at what happened during that quarter. Maybe they're taking some write-offs that will benefit them down the road. Uh, maybe they missed something. Sometimes accounting. Sometimes you, you know the the sales can't get in that quarter, but they'll be there next quarter. So there's so many things <laughs> that come into play when I invest. You can't make these quick decisions just because of a bad quarter. Or honestly, sometimes companies just have bad quarters. Yeah. It's the reality. Businesses aren't rosy all the time. You're going to have bad quarters. You might even have a bad year. Yeah. But if the bad year doesn't deteriorate the fundamentals of that company, don't sell it because they're going through a rough patch. And what caused that bad year? Yeah. Could have been something that was out of their control. And can they get it back on track? So, I mean, investing is, as we say, simple, but not easy. So, Zach, I, I hope that helps out. And, uh, you know, good luck with your investing there. Sounds like you're you're on the right track there. All right, let's go to another email here. Let's see. Uh, gentlemen, uh, I'd like to know your opinion on Lucid. Buy, sell, or hold. Thanks for your time. Now, he did not get the ticker symbol. I think you knew what the ticker is, Chase, on that. That's L-C-I-D. Okay. You know, and I kind of like their cars when I see them. You know, they're in the malls and stuff. They, they look kind of classy. I'm, I'm not a huge fan, honestly. But <laughs> I, just, I don't know. I, I think they're okay. Yeah. Like, I, I don't think they're worth the price. No, they're not worth the price. But I, but I look at them, I think they're classy looking. Yeah. I think they're one more classy looking EV. And again, I'm not buying one. Don't, don't think I'm going to buy yeah. an EV. But, I'd say they're classy, but yeah, when I look at them, I'm like, yeah, yeah. too expensive for yeah. the look. I like my Cadillacs for when I pay for those. Yeah. So, but let's take a look at Lucid. Uh, their symbol is LCID. They're auto manufacturer. Wow, I did not know that the shares of float, uh, the percentage of float uh, short is twenty point five percent. So a lot of 
people think the stock's going to go down. They are 75.7% institutional owned, no P.E. ratio because they have no earnings. Price of sales, very expensive, 11.7 versus 0.8. Price to book value, 1.8 versus 4.7. That is a positive, but there's no price to cash flow and there's no peg ratio uh, on this uh, company here at all, Lucid. We do see on growth, while well, there's no earnings growth over the last one year or five year, sales growth now is nice up the last year, up 84.6%. The industry up 13.9%. Now, the five year growth from the analysts on loose is pretty good as well 14.6% versus 2.8% for the industry. They do not pay a dividend. Look at the balance sheet, they got a nice current ratio of 5.2% above the industry at 1.6%, and debt to equity only 0.5% which is about the normal for the industry. Unfortunately, net profit margin, a negative 380% versus a positive 6.3%. Return to equity, a negative 49% uh, versus a positive 14.6%. Um, just not liking the fundamentals so far here on Lucid. Chase, what do you got? Yeah, so current price here for Lucid, Lucid is $4.21. I see the 52-week high is $17.80 and a low here. Three dollars and sixty-two cents. I see year to date the stock is is it's down about thirty-two percent. Uh, obviously, it was part of the whole EV hype that, frankly, has now faltered. Uh, EVs are not what people thought they would be in uh, the short amount of time. And actually, going out to December two thousand twenty-four, unfortunately, I still see the company's estimated to lose ninety-nine cents per share. So, can't get a target sell price with them. No earnings. Uh, I think. Potentially a longer ramp towards EVs could really hurt a company like this if they mm -hmm. can't sustain and generate profits because they, they could be forced to close the doors if they can't generate cash flow and profits within, the, let's say, the next five years. And, and, and you know, I look at these companies, uh, and I've said this before, that we're not going to go 100% EV down yeah. the road. There's going to be other options for people. There's so many players in this EV market, including the big players, which I think will survive. The lucids of the worlds, they could become the, oh, I can't think of the name of the uh, uh, famous car in the older days where they, they just went out of business. Studebaker? Studebaker was one. There's another one, too, I was trying to think of. The uh, Dorian something? Well, uh, oh, yeah, Dor Dorian? No, it was no. a LaDorian. You know what I'm talking about. I know what the famous yeah. one that had the wing doors. The wing doors, yeah, yeah. Um, so hard to get parts for those companies uh, for those cars. I mean, even couple cars that I have that are now, uh, what, 15, 16 years old, they're starting to say they're not really making parts for those cars. Now, they are high-end exotic cars, but still the manufacturer goes on and makes other parts and says, well, we're not going to support those. What are all these people going to do with the Lucids and the Rivians that if they don't make it, how are you going to get parts for those companies? And the thing that you got to understand is I don't even think it would be an acquisition target. No. The, the companies would just say, we'll wait for you to go bankrupt, and then we'll buy up your factories. We'll buy up your parts. We'll buy up whatever we need from you. I don't need your model of car. I'll just you know, take the, the things that are valuable to us and wait for you to close doors. I, I don't think it would be an acquisition target, especially when it's a model of car. It's like, oh, we can make our own model to compete against that. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and I've heard good and bad about Lucid that, oh, you know, they're, they're not very dependable yeah. and stuff. So um, it, it's just something that we don't get in the hype of investing. Uh, I, I just think that, uh, you know, the Lucids of the world, yep, they, I think their time has come and gone to where people made a lot of money on them. And some of them will survive. Yeah. But I think a lot will not. So, I, I agree. Oh, 
and China. China's coming on very strong with uh, EV makers in China. I know BYD is yeah. quite large. Xiaomi, which was a phone maker, is actually making a car now, I yeah. guess, too. It, it's yeah, it's something to keep an eye on. Yeah, so I would not be in buying any EV maker, even Tesla. Yeah. I think Tesla's going to have some difficulty going forward. So, all right, uh, the next one here was just very short. Uh, it was from Jim. Uh, he just wants to know about uh, Altria Group. Uh, symbol MO, and I, I'm, I'm very excited to look at this because this is one that, um, you know, for years ha- has been around, and and they went through some major uh, issues back uh, with the lawsuits from the government, and and uh, they, they're still around as a as a tobacco company. So I'm very excited to kind of look at this, see where it stands now. That company again is Alt. Alt- Altria Group, uh, symbol MO, they're in the tobacco industry. Not much short on this at all, 0.8%, but not highly institutional owned either, uh, 59% institutionally owned. Still got a good PE ratio of 8.2 versus 10.7 for the industry. Price of sales, 3.5 versus 2.1, that's higher. No price to book value. I don't like seeing that. That means the liabilities exceed the asset and there's no value, no equity to this company. Not a good sign that uh, I want to be in. Uh, although I do believe it's been that way for quite a while. Uh, price to cash flow, 8.3 versus 9.2. And the peg ratio, very good, 4.2 versus 25.9. Uh, earnings over the last year, they're up 90.7% versus 146 for the industry. Uh, sales were down 0.6% versus up 2.6% for the tobacco industry. And we do see a five-year growth rate of 2.2% versus 3.3%. I'm wondering in in Altria Group, is it just tobacco or is there other things in here? Because this is just amazing to me that you're still seeing growth on tobacco. And I guess, you know, we, we talk about here in the U.S., this is worldwide, so maybe in the world. No, this this company is only U.S. Remember they really? split, Altria split into Philip Morris, which was the worldwide, worldwide okay. and then Altria is now just the United States. So that just surprised me that here in the United States, you'd expect to see growth over the next five years of 2.2% on tobacco. Is that earnings? I could be based off share buybacks, things like that. Uh, well, it's, I, you know, it's a five-year earnings per share growth estimate from the analyst. But even with that, I mean, you know, sales uh, have have not gone off the cliff, but you know, and and it could be like we talked about that people are going to smoke are still smoking. People that quit, they've already quit and not going back. And it could get price increases, I guess, too, on the products. Yeah, people yeah. will pay it. People will pay it. Yeah, and, and I've heard the price of cigarettes are outrageous, but people continue to pay it. Uh, they do also pay a nice dividend, nine point seven percent. Use seventy seven percent of the earnings to pay that out. Um, I, 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 well, let's look at the balance sheet here because we've got a current ratio, and here's a problem here. Current ratio 0.3 versus 1.1. 1. 1. Uh, they have no equity, so there's debt there. You'd have to look at that debt. Uh, intangible assets 56%. Net profit margin 42.6 versus 20.2. Return to equity a negative 256. I mean, this is just like a cash cow that one day is just going to stop because it's not a viable business but they're making money and something's going to fall apart in here. And I know that 10%, 9.7% dividend is pretty attractive. Um, I don't know what you're going to show me there, Chase, but it's just like, 
I, I, I don't feel comfortable with this company at all. Yeah, I mean, I, I got you here. The current price is $40.34 again for Mo Altria Group, the ticker symbol MO. Uh, 52 week high here, $48.99, the low, $39.07. Um, year to date, the stock's actually down, gosh, about uh, 11%. So it looks like you kind of wipe out the benefit of the dividend. And I was looking, it looks like they still have, obviously, the cigarettes under the Mar- Marlboro brand. They have cigars and pipe. Um, they also have um, kind of the uh, the chew, the tobacco products that people dip, I think is the, the term for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then also, too, they have nicotine pouches, which I've actually seen a lot more people you start using. You say pouches well. or patches? Nicotine pouches. So pouches. you kind of you use it like dip where you put it in your mouth. And Really? You put nicotine in your mouth? Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. So um, – yeah, I don't know, um, <laughs> but I, I I see I have seen that among kind of like my generation, a lot more people are starting to do that than just the the actual tobacco. So right. I don't know. I mean that that could be where some growth potentially comes in, but that's the big thing holding this company. You got to understand where is potential growth coming from. How can they sustain sales and earnings? Because obviously, if you don't have a sustainable business, there's going to be issues with sustaining that dividend, sustaining that that payout right. essentially. So. I look forward, though, I go out to December 2024. I still see estimated earnings per share of $5.09. I mean, it actually still trades at a Ford PE multiple around eight times. So, I mean, it's it's still what I would call inexpensive. And we actually get a target sell price here at $84.49, which is, again, using our multiple, about a 100% return. But I, I just I don't think you're going to get that because you're not going to get growth. Right. I, I just don't see how the company grows. I said they could increase sales, the price of it. But I think you're going to have a declining sales base, so you're offsetting the you know decline with price increases, which is just not a sustainable business model. And one mistake I did, and this is why you do the research on the companies, because I'm just thinking cigarettes. Well, you mentioned cigars, uh, chewing tobacco, mm-hmm. which I, I I think is is big. I think in this in the south and stuff yeah. like that. So there's other areas that the business I look at. I'm still not saying oh run out and buy this company, but it it may be some potential there depending on how much is tobacco and then you got the smokeless tobacco now and stuff. So they, the company seems to be trying to do some other things. And like it or not, people are still going to use vices. Yeah. So um, this is still one that, you know, I, I think if they can still figure out how to implement those vices and the way people want them, it could still be sustainable. Not saying to invest in it. Some people might have moral issues with that, but frankly, it's the truth of the matter. Yeah. It, I mean, it is what it is. And you know, we do live in a free country. You can do what you want to do. I, I don't get it because, you know, you, you know it's going to give you cancer. But, uh, again, you can do what you want to do on, the, on that. That's that's the benefit of being in a free country. You can make your own choices because I'm, I'm sure there's things that I do that people say, oh, you shouldn't be doing that. So, yeah. But, yeah. I, you can't really judge other people at the end of the day. If they no. want to make those decisions, it's, I guess, their decision their to make. Their decision. Yeah. So, well, we've wrapped up 2023. I mean, it was a, a, a good year. You look back, it was a very – Difficult year. I mean, in March, April, with the banking situation, we thought for sure, like, oh, this could be over. Don't forget, you had two wars. Two wars that happened. They're going on. Yeah, still. going on. Uh, it, you know, and that's why we we talk about look at the fundamentals of the business. Don't let things around you, you know, deter you from investing, because this was a very difficult year. Looking forward, 
And look what happened. We came out with a pretty good return this year. I was going to say, yeah, difficult year that turned out okay. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's what I think we'll see in 2024. We'll have the issues, but we'll get through them. So we'll talk next year. Thank you for listening to Smart Investing Show. It is for information purpose only and should not be used as an investment advice. If you'd like to discuss your investments in more detail, I have other investment questions, feel free to call myself Brent Wilsey or Chase Wilsey at 858-546-4306. That's 858-546-4306. And be sure to visit that website, Smart Investing. 2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. Got a lot more great information there. Sign up for the newsletter there. Uh, have a great rest of uh, 2023, and we'll look forward to guiding you in 2024 and your investment needs and build your net worth. To think that I did all that, and may I say.